You're listening to a Rare Drop podcast. Check us out at raredrop.co. Hello, everyone. I know you've been waiting for a very long time to be involved with all of the amazing things that we're doing at Rare Drop, and now is the time. We are introducing the Rare Drop Patreon, so if you've ever wanted to get involved with experimental content or being at any of our podcasts early to listen in, well, all of that is available in the new Rare Drop Patreon. Check it out. Hey, everyone. This is Wayne from Kings Coast Coffee. The holidays are in full swing over here. Our famous King's Cocoa is returned for the season, as well as our holiday tradition, the Christmas blend. Keep an eye out for a special retro roast, midnight release, as well as the 12 Days of King's Coast. So head on over to kingscoastcoffee.com for your one-stop holiday shopping needs. Welcome to this special episode of the Old Fashioned Podcast. Just to give you a little context here, this is not me and Mike today. This was something that uh, we wanted to do a little extra for you. So this will be an additional episode to the normal cadence of, of uh, episodes that Mike and I have been putting out. Um, and I got the privilege and the honor to uh, interview Janessa Christine, who is the new CEO of Phoenix Town. Phoenix Town is a new talent agency that Rare Drop uh, has recently invested in and has a minority stake in. Uh, so you'll learn more about that in the episode and a lot about Janessa and Janessa's history uh, as a content creator, as a gamer, uh, uh, leading up to uh, her new position, which is CEO of Phoenix Down. So I just wanted to give a little context to the episode. Uh, obviously, this is hitting the Patreon first. So if you're hearing this in the future, uh, the patrons had it at least a week before you. Uh, so head on over to that patreon.com slash rare drop and grab that stuff. Uh, that's it. Enjoy the episode. And uh, if you have any questions, you know where to find me. Right. Right. Enjoy. I think that was a lot easier for me on my side than you. Was it? Yeah, we were kind of <laughs> on the, like the same. <laughs> I was like snapping. I was trying to. <laughs> People do claps sometimes, but we've found that the numbers just for some reason works the best. Yeah. So when something works at Rare Drop, we don't like changing it because uh, uh, it's it's then it confuses everyone. I'm going to take uh, that. I'm going to take that for when I have to. Y- you should. Record. You should. You should. Well, it's good that we started talking because on old fashioned podcasts, we do cold intros anyway. So oh, okay. uh, good. Welcome to the show, Janessa. Uh, today. Uh, Just to give everyone a little background, we have Janessa. I'm going to talk about it in the recording before the show. (laughs) We have Janessa from Phoenix Down. She is the new CEO of the new Phoenix Down. And I wanted Janessa on the show to take us through her personal journey to getting here, uh, what the company uh, has become already. Uh, It's just amazing. And then to see where we're going with this. If you don't know what Phoenix Down is, Phoenix Down is the newest and hottest. <laughs> Actually, why am I doing it? You should be talking about it. You're the CEO. I don't know. You make it sound really exciting. So, Just use adjectives in there and you and can make anything. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Tell us a little bit uh, the short elevator pitch on what Phoenix Down is 
and then we'll go from there. Sure. So Phoenix Down is the newest management company for online broadcasters. Um, we have a specialty focus on video game creators, and we just want to help out in any way that we can when it comes to creators' businesses. We've gotten to this place in content creation. It's been here for a while, but there's no way that these channels can go at this alone. They need help and business help. Um, so that's what we want to be for anybody that is awesome and that we can work with. Um, there's two ways that we're going to be doing that through a management company and through an agency, which we'll get to more details later. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, uh, you've been in content creation as a personality for how many years? Uh, four years. I started officially in like 2016. 2016. Okay. Uh, and you, like me, and so many others came through the Destiny community, if I'm not mistaken. It's true. I like yes. the Destiny community is so fantastic and wonderful. And I think it's incredible that so many people got their start there. Um, I started streaming in September of 2016, um, right around when the Taken King came out. So I didn't play year one Destiny, which is sort of taboo for a lot of people mm -hmm. but um i was an xbox person for a long time and i was dating somebody who um really loved playstation and loved destiny and he convinced me to buy the taken king console i still have it it's gorgeous it's that like white and gold one um and that was that like i had never played an mmo i had never played that some, something that was so um team-based focus when it came to raids like i used to play halo but this was like the first like community-based game that i had played and i was just outstanding and overwhelmed and as i was like doing raids with my friends i was like well you know maybe i should turn on this stream thing and see uh so i started around september 20 uh 2016 I streamed every single day that month. And by the end of the month, I had about 20 followers. And somebody, one of them mentioned to me, like, oh, uh, TwitchCon is happening in San Diego. You should stop by. And I was like, well, what's a TwitchCon? And so <laughs> <laughs> I went there. It was not sold out. Like, I, it was in my city. So I just showed up, bought a ticket, and the I went to a panel. And the first panel I went to was Co-Carnage talking about moderation now i had no clue who this guy was like i was just a streamer that like turned it on i didn't really watch twitch as much um and that was that kind of set the footing and ground hold for how i learned what community was and what better of an influence than co uh, to like get in that yeah. mindset and yeah. you know it things just took off from there so Backing up even further, what's your introduction to gaming? When people ask me what mine is, I recall my earliest memory being opening my Nintendo Entertainment System. Yes, I'm that old uh, <laughs> as a kid and ripping it off and demanding that my my mother and my stepfather plug it into the television immediately because <laughs> I didn't care about what all the other presents were at that point. I got a Nintendo uh, and, you know, from there, it was the journey through Legend of Zelda, The Link to the Past. Uh, to being uh, heavily addicted to World of Warcraft where, you know, I, I tell the story of uh, raiding one night and then we kept wiping. So I went to the bar with my friends and I came back at 2 a.m. and I got back into the raid, even though I was a little inebriated. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That's Did how deep win, I was in. No, uh, we never killed. It was Illidan, uh, World of Warcraft. I, I know you say you don't know MMOs, but yeah, it was for people listening. It was Illidan. Uh, and then, um, you know, it brought me to Destiny, which got me to us on this call having this conversation right now. Uh, just like you. Yeah. I, for me, Destiny, I don't play Destiny anymore, but that game means the world to me. The community does. Bungie does because I wouldn't be here without them. Um mm-hmm. So just like you, yeah, it's it's wild how much one game changed my life. Same. But what um, what's your earliest memory of gaming itself, uh, and and what was your journey through that? I know you mentioned Halo in there. Yeah. So it's in <laughs> the funny thing. My earliest memory is getting an NES for Christmas, but um, nobody in my family gamed, so. Mm-hmm. I guess we returned it. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why? I don't know. I was a child, but oh no! I know my my dad. I don't know who was behind this, um, but my dad returned it so that they could get us bikes, and you know that's really unfortunate. But you know that's my first memory. Um, So the first console that I played was actually Super Nintendo. Um, my grandma who lived in Santa Barbara at the time had a super Nintendo and I, whenever we would go visit her, so I'm from San Diego. So it's about like a four hour drive up. Um, we would go and I would just spend all of my time at my grandma's house playing super Nintendo. And they thought that I was super weird because I was the only one who did it. I would just lock myself up (laughs) in the room, but obviously super Mario world played a lot of that. And that's where my favorite game comes from, which is Troddlers. It's kind of like this puzzle wizard game. Have you heard of it? I know Troddlers. Yeah. That's, that is a name I have not heard in a long time. Yeah. I, I loved that game and I had a little book where you had to write down, the codes to the levels because you know saving wasn't a thing <laughs> yep um, yep didn't so, it have like different colored people things on the cover or something yeah um if you've ever played lemmings i think is what it's called it's kind of the same idea like you have these little yeah, lemmings yeah, yeah, yeah. like nerd like characters and they have to get through a door and so you're this wizard that's controlling these blocks and you have to get them through the doors without squishing them and killing them Yes, I I don't think I ever played it, but I remember seeing the cover in one of the Toys R Us or KB Toys or something. Uh, that reminds me that I need to get like a physical cover of it because it was just so awesome. It's on emulator now, but it's not the same. No, physical copies are always king. We we actually talked about on this show last week how what's going to happen to physical copy copies now that COVID is is a thing and obviously won't change for a bit. Uh, yeah. Will they reduce the amount of physical copies they make of, of newer games, for instance, especially, you know, I'm already seeing people. I didn't get my cyberpunk. I'm not getting it until Friday or Saturday uh, and it comes out on Thursday. So, yeah, but streaming I, forced me to go digital. I had to I had to. I didn't have a choice. Yeah, I think it's also hard when you're like dealing with codes and marketing and stuff. It's just so much easier mm-hmm. to send a code. But there's. Nothing more special than opening a box, I think. Nothing. I still have my original Destiny 1 PlayStation 4 uh, copy, which was the first time I ever... I, I Pete from uh, King's Coast came into uh, my... Uh, at the time, we, my, the company I was working for owned uh, a bar in Queens in New York. And he. I, I'll never forget the day it came out. He walked into the bar and he's like, I grabbed an extra copy for you. 
and handed it to me and i was like oh cool i'll send you the money blah blah and i was so excited because we had played the alpha and the beta and we were just so stoked uh and that's the same copy that i'm sitting behind me because that copy is super special to me because again that changed my life so yeah. uh I, I will never get rid of that danielle uh, my wife has talked about framing it and putting it in my office at the rare job office so that's I got to find idea. something good. Yeah, I'm going to hit Bungie up and be like, hey, you got any extra like posters or cool stuff lying around from Destiny 1 I could throw in there? Right. But back to you. Um, so, so SNES was like the early part of your journey in Trodlers. I think that's amazing. I don't know if I know anyone else who's ever played Trodlers. So. <laughs> it's, a, it's a very niche and I try to like explain how cool it is, but people don't get it. Like I even had my, my boyfriend play it and he was just like, eh, it's okay. And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you, I, that happens so often with retro games. You're like, this game's amazing. You got to try it. And then the person just stares at you like, uh, yeah. well... Uh, and you're like, no, 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 it's fantastic, I promise. <laughs> it's definitely different when you're experiencing it as a kid, and then you have all these years of remembering it. Nostalgia plays a huge factor. Yeah. Um, so there was that game. I That's also where I played Final Fantasy VI. And I like to say that whatever your first Final Fantasy was is your favorite. So... I'm a Final Fantasy VI person, which interestingly comes into the Phoenix Down part a little bit yeah. later. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I remember that like it still said three on the cover, so I'd always get confused when I tried to explain it to people. They'd be like, Final Fantasy three doesn't exist. And it, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had one. One for NES was the first one I played. Okay. Yeah, uh, I'm that old. <laughs> So from there, gosh, what console did I play next? I did not have a PlayStation. Um, so, like, I grew up where, like, we didn't really have – we weren't, like, poor, but we certainly weren't well off. So there's, like, some mm -hmm. console, like, skips in there. Um, but my next-door neighbor had a PlayStation and a GameCube. So she also had a PC that could play games. And so – I would go over there to play her video games. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird thought now. Yeah. And I remember always like constant, constantly begging her to play like Crash Bandicoot or um, <laughs> I love it. Mario Party. And she'd be like, don't you want to do something else? And I'm like, no, I don't have this at home. Like you can play in your free time, but I cannot. Um, we also played, uh, I think it was Mist, but I'm not sure. But it was way too creepy. I couldn't do it. Um, <laughs> and then I finally got a, a PS2. And so Kingdom Hearts was a big one for me. I think that was like my my first sort of emotional experience with a game was Kingdom Hearts. Mm -hmm. And I really, really mm -hmm. loved that. And then also like it brought up a lot of existential questions. And I was into that and like the Matrix of like, does this exist? Are we in some sort of like... <laughs> <laughs> alternate reality and that was a lot of big thoughts for my kid self um and then i bought my first console myself was the original xbox and i played halo 2 um halo 1 was only on pc i believe at the time so halo 2 was my first experience with multiplayer and i got obsessed my parents would not let me play it because I would just play it all day and so they told me that I couldn't play it at night so instead I woke up at like five in the morning and I would play before school <laughs> smart <laughs> yeah they weren't awake they didn't know what I was doing um so that was my first delve into the online world 
um, I got Halo Reach and I Halo Reach is still to this day is my favorite one. And I think it's because of the experiences that I had. I just had a really good friend group and I remember spending like one Thanksgiving just playing all day with them, playing firefight mm-hmm. and just talking and making friends and just having a good time. And we would like do things like glitch and just get to the top of maps or just like walk as far as you could into the darkness. And I don't know why that was so fun. Yeah. Breaking games with friends back in the day was a blast. I remember playing with friends. My biggest one was uh, those early WCW wrestling games. Mm. on n64 because we would all hang out together and create like a bunch of characters as many as those brick memory cards could hold (laughs) and then you know you throw them in like a battle royale or something and you you know do our own tournament brackets with markers and paper on the wall and man those uh, were the days (laughs) yeah i mean you had to be creative even then and now everything's in the game and if it's not in the game then everyone gets upset uh it's 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 the evolution (laughs) of the business into uh uh one of the top entertainment uh, consuming properties in the entire world at this point, if not the, I think it might be the number one, Uh, but fast forwarding it even, and even jumping on that, you know, uh, you love gaming. You grew up around it. You're going to take your, your try at content creation, TwitchCon. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk more about the journey through content creation, because that led to your, what I would, say is your first major opportunity which i believe came before opg was gamestop correct um gamestop was actually in the midst of opg okay so i have them backwards so yeah take me from streaming to opg and then to gamestop um i did work at a gamestop though so that was my first job which chronologically lines up like i you know were you were you one of the miserable people at GameStop or one of the happy ones? <laughs> I was definitely a happier one. Okay, um, good. But I didn't work like full time or anything. I was just kind of like a seasonal employee who eventually That's like why. I got to stick around. But yeah, I didn't, I wasn't like running the store. You know, I was the one that got to show up and cheer everybody else up. <laughs> yeah, there's there's two types of people that work at GameStop. You and everybody else. Yeah. It's, every GameStop has at least one you, but the rest of the people that work at GameStop... Oh, believe just, me, I hear from very them miserable. a lot. <laughs> I, I, there was one here when I first moved when I was still buying physical. The guy was the nicest guy. He was the store manager. And then I remember he got transferred to another store in Florida. And the new people that took over were just, they didn't care about anything. Aww. Anything. <laughs> and I actually would drive to the other GameStop, which was farther away, because I liked the person in that one better than these people. So, Isn't that uh, weird? I still do that to this day. The GameStop that I go to is an hour away from me. I mean, it's on the way to my boyfriend's house, but like that's my preferred one because I got my guys and I want to talk to them and just talk about games. <sighs> yeah, think- yeah. It's it. it, it when you'd go in there and I'd be shopping, there's always that guy that you knew or that person that you knew that would be in there and they just wanted to talk to the clerks. They were not buying anything. They weren't doing anything. They always stood in the corner by the the front counter where they weren't blocking the line, but they also weren't blocking the employees from coming in and out of the desk. Every GameStop has that person. Every single one. They do. (laughs) But that's like... Sometimes they bring you like food on rough days or like 
I remember those people always bringing us like donuts during like our midnight releases or like Black Friday. And we'd be like, okay, they have been redeemed for all the time that they suck from us. (laughs) And that's even midnight releases now is not really what it was. I I remember World of Warcraft midnight releases for uh, which one did I? I, uh, Wrath of Lich King? Wrath of Lich King. I was working at Best Buy, but I didn't have to work the release. So we were actually allowed. I, I don't know if I could still get in trouble for this, but they let us buy it the next day. Does that make sense at that night? Oh, yes. So we didn't have to wait on the line. They would, you know. Interestingly, that's not OK on the East Coast, but it's fine for the West Coast because of the time difference. <laughs> so so because the game releases at midnight, GameStops don't close like they close like right at nine. So we're allowed to get our physical copies like that day, that night, because 9 p.m. they're closing. If that makes any sense. Yes, 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 <laughs> yes. Yes, I remember. I remember all of it. I used to do it when I worked at Tower Records, too. We used to do that mm. with music. Whoever was closing would take, you know, on a I think it was Monday nights because music came out on Tuesdays back in the day. You, you'd give them cash. And then at 12.01, they'd ring you up for whatever the album was that you wanted to have before everybody else. But they would uh, still have to be just, open, though. Like, who's open at midnight anymore? Tower was open till midnight. It would wow. open at noon and was open till midnight. So he'd just keep the register open one minute later. Dang. Well, so, yeah, that's I, I started working at a GameStop. Um, what am I supposed to talk about? Content creation? <laughs> Your, your journey t- through. So you said you, the at topic. the end you had you had 20, 20 followers going into TwitchCon, uh, and then uh, f- from there somehow you got a job at OPG and then yeah. GameStop. So take us from the twenty okay. followers to OPG. So I was just you know doing my thing in the Destiny community. Pretty much only soloed that game. I, I streamed from my console. I didn't even have a computer. Um, eventually through streaming. I had enough support to buy a computer and that was really cool. But one of the first people to ever notice me was She Snaps. She yes. rated me for like 250 viewers and I just like lost my mind. Um, <laughs> I didn't know what was happening and I had previously followed her on Instagram. So it was weird to tell her like, hey, you're the girl I know from Instagram instead of I know you from Twitch and Destiny. <laughs> um, but that was that was really awesome and from there you know the destiny community did its thing and what it's good at it just supported me um and i supported the the streamers and i met made a ton of friends through that throughout that community um ended up going to guardian con to meet them all back when it was called that which ones so it must have been 2017 that was a rough one for me was it (laughs) Any year I didn't have the budget that I started getting in 2018, I I consider a rough one. So 16 and 17 for me were not my ideal expectation. Now, there's always issues that happen that, you know, I complain about afterwards and I'm upset. But as far as budget wise, those two 16 was absolutely atrociously difficult. Uh, I had an eighty five thousand dollar budget total all in every dime. And I came up six hundred bucks over. (laughs) Wow. I mean, that's really good. <laughs> yeah, I was impressed, too. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, but 17 still I wasn't it wasn't mentally where I wanted it to be. 18, it got there. I think the first time, unfortunately, that I really felt like we had hit our stride and we were moving 
albeit we still had some problems, was 19. And then, of course, I couldn't do anything to correct it last year, which is still bothering me. But we'll get back there. Um, so you went to GuardianCon 2017. Yeah. So I, I did 2017, uh, 18 and 19. Um, and it's still to this day, I'm sure you get this a lot, but it's the best con out there. It's so fun. Um, there's you. nothing like just being able to hang out and chill with your friends. The, people can say that they're like fans or audiences, but they're really just your friends, I think. Um, so onwards to OPG. I At this time, I was working as an admin assistant in a civil engineering company. Um, and I was... I pretty much had a lot of time during my work to focus on cr content creation. So that's kind of like where I did community management. I started working uh, on SheSnap's stream team, um, the pizza party. I was just trying to make people like more un unified and like inviting them, getting the Discord running, like creating resources. Um, I then became part of a stream team called Opportunity, which works with pineapples or did. Um, and he was like big in the H1Z1 scene. So um, that's where I started sort of doing community management and just mm -hmm. trying to get people involved. Um, from there, I found out about what online performers group was through like a Reddit AMA, I think. And they used to do a broadcast every Friday and I would tune in. I would, I would watch Twitch weekly and then I would watch their office hours is what it was called. Um, one of the days they mentioned that they were hiring and I didn't even realize that this was again in my city in San Diego. That's where they were located. So I applied. I got told no at first because they were going to hire someone else and they offered me an admin assistant job. And I was just like, nope, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. It's not what I really want to do. Um, so I said no. And then two weeks later they were like, wait, we, we want you after all we have the opening still, and you're hired. <laughs> so that was nice. in May of 2018. That was, had I, I believe? No, I wasn't on. What was I? No, when did I? I wasn't on board yet. I came to online performers group. Uh, I want to say February of 2019. So you you were before even I joined. Yes, I think I remember um, them bringing you on, and I was just very much like, well, why wasn't he here earlier? Because <laughs> the, the Twitch numbers were never yeah. there for me. You know, my Mixer deal included uh, promote. I love that I can speak freely about it now because I'm not mm. bound to anything. Uh, my Mixer deal included, you know, them promoting me. And Mixer went through a period from, I want to say November, no, October of 2018 through roughly March or April of 2019 where acquired talent and their top talent, they were pushing them actively. Mm. And it's amazing what happens to your numbers when the platform actually supports you. It's, it's insane. Right. Uh, right. It's almost like there's some sort of cyclical uh, symbiotic relationship that's supposed to take place here. <laughs> Wild. Um, I feel like you're saying my, something here. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. But my numbers were through the roof uh way surpassing anything uh that i could be and it was active engagement it wasn't empty follows like i was playing old games because there was nothing new that i was interested in because for me it's 
I'm not a shooter guy. It's mostly MMOs and single player experiences. So I remember to capitalize on uh, the new Star Wars movie coming out. I was playing Star Wars The Old Republic, the old MMO. And, you know, 1,000, 2,000 viewers and people were actively engaged. I remember this game. This game's still around. Things like that and and just blowing out of the water. And, oh, you know, I spoke to the folks at, at OPG and these numbers are ridiculous. Uh, and I that was also you probably remember this better than I do was when they were looking to get into Mixer and myself and Jared and Ark and a few mm-hmm. others uh, got brought on through the 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 Mixer times, if you will. But almost con- almost concurrently with Mixer's not promoting us anymore, which ironically, five, Rip. four months later, they signed Ninja. Well, um, <laughs> almost Right with that, I know OPG later that year also decided we're gonna we're not gonna we're gonna drop Mixer partners as well um, because the money wasn't there anymore because Mixer stopped supporting the partners, which in essence ruined our ability to you know create revenue outside of the platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this isn't Twitch; we don't have the same traffic that Twitch has. And then the Streamlabs r- reports started coming. It was bad. It was bad. But yeah, I mean, I yeah, came and along and. It ultimately led to the end of the platform, I think. Yeah, I so. saw that coming. That's why I booked it six months before they. Uh, yeah, you're <laughs> they smart. <laughs> um, but okay, so uh, you said March of 2018. Uh, May, yeah. So May of 2018. May of 2018, I start working at Online Performers Group, and it like is a dream job for me. I remember how at home I felt because normally in every other workspace you talk about games and you're just like met with blank stares in my previous job I had like cosplayed as a Fortnite character for for Halloween and like nobody knew what it was so I had to put these signs up that explained who I was dressed as and it's I think that that's ironic because now everybody's heard of Fortnite if they've heard of any game I think mm-hmm. um so like it just felt it felt like home it was a diverse place san diego's pretty diverse anyway but i just felt seen um even even as like a female or a woman in the space like our ideas were always listened to it was a place where i had this leg up because i was creating and so i had a lot of ideas and there was a lot of like corrections I had to make and I was just like oh well that's not actually how it works or I have a solution for that um, through OBS or whatever knowledge I had so I became very valuable to the company in that way Um, but I also learned a ton we were working with creators every single day and so I learned um, how best to like answer their emails or I had never worked in sort of like a sponsorship sort of way I have a degree in communication and writing um, so that definitely helped out I knew that I always wanted to go in sort of like the marketing field but actually doing the work is so different than anything that you'll learn in school yeah yeah I have a I have a a associates in uh, business management and managing a business versus learning about managing a business is basically the equivalent of telling someone how good your favorite slice of pizza in wherever you get it from for me it would be brooklyn tastes yeah this pizza is really <laughs> good and it tastes really good just trust me 
right, versus yeah. actually sinking your teeth into the pizza. Nothing's going to um, teach you as much as experience. No, I, I've been working in events since I was 15 years old, legally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my, com- my family comes from uh, the business. Uh, one side is, is events, the other side is travel. Um, but since I was 15 years old and nothing taught me more than my years stocking shelves, then my next evolution was, OK, you're going to be a captain for this portion of the event. You know, and I the way I grew my self as as a professional ended me up right before I moved to Florida. I was director of operations and finance, uh, you know, for one of the top event planning companies in New York City. And um, I had done that all from starting in a stock room at 15 years old. Wow. Uh, and by the time I left, I think I was 32. But that like, can right. we talk about like what a strength yeah. that is to go, you know, from the bottom to the top? Because then you see how everything works. Yep. Yeah. It's it's you see the perspective of the people that are with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been taking a ton of master classes lately. Uh, you know, it's an investment in your future to do that. So if you're in any sort of role like Janessa and I, uh, or if you aspire to be in that role, I highly recommend investing in things like masterclass because you're going to learn from people that have done it. And a lot of them uh, will teach you from the bottom up. So I'm taking Bob Iger's for the second time because there's a lot of information that I wanted to kind of recap and get in there as Rare Drop is getting into all the stuff. And um, he started as he said he made $150 a week in the 70s at ABC. And then by 2004, he was the CEO of the Walt Disney Company. Oh, gosh. Um, yeah. And and it's it's incredible to watch folks do that. And you have a great story, too, because you went from, like you said, 20 followers uh, on Twitch to not even knowing what TwitchCon was. Mm-hmm. And that was only f- uh, four years ago at this point. Yeah. And now you're CEO of, of what I believe is is already and going to be one of the top agencies in our field. And that you can't I can't emphasize enough how good on the rare job side we feel about the partnership because we're super particular. Like I am I am an asshole when it comes to this stuff. <laughs> I do not I it's so many things come across my desk, Janessa, of opportunities from people and this is it. That's a shoe in. And people have pitched exactly what we're doing with you to us. Business plans, well thought out things. And a lot of it goes back to believing in your instincts. And that's where I was going with the Bob Iger thing. When he's talking about mergers and whatnot, a lot of it comes back to creating, you know, instilling culture and not taking over, Mm -hmm. which when we, you know, when we decided on this partnership, we did not want to come in as rare drop and be like, okay, now this is, this is how, you know, we do things. So Phoenix Dennis operate. No, I wanted everything you just described about how you felt working at OPG to carry over, but also for you all, the four of you to put your spin on what that is Mm -hmm. and have your own identity and be your own company because everybody came to us when uh, we're jumping a little ahead, but I think it's relevant. (laughs) Everybody came to us and they were like, you got to start an agency. You got to start an agency. You got to start. And I remember in our early talks (laughs) with you guys, I was like, Janessa, I physically and emotionally can't (laughs) handle starting an agency. (laughs) So, uh, I mean, that's that's honestly those are the first conversations was like, I can't do this and you can. So how do we make this? Happen? That is literally how it happened. <laughs> and, you know, I'm on the other side like, oh, God, can I do this too? Like, 
Well, you just described why, uh, you know, you understand the operating procedure. All four of you, the whole team, um, uh, Sarah, Oliver and Zach, you all understood the operating procedure. It was in place. It's not like your time at OPG was this terrible thing. You had a good space. You had a good place to work. It's unfortunate how things played out. uh, But you learn something and you all are going to take something into this new venture. And it's really, really, really cool to watch you um, begin the process and learn things. And, and you know, as we roll into the new year, I'm going to be every time I learn something new, you know, that's something I pass off to you. Uh, even uh, yesterday or today, I said to Janessa, I was like, we need to start setting up our meetings for next mm-hmm. year. So, you know, we're in sync and uh, little things like that. And and then before we started, I complained to you. I was like, did you know that with G Suite, you can't schedule meetings for twice a month? <laughs> right. So I had to send you two meeting invites for two meetings a month. We'll, um, we'll learn together. Yeah, we will learn together. But um, it's really been awesome to see that culture that you just described forming with Phoenix down. And I'm excited to see it expand as the company expands and more people come on board to be a part of the team and, and, and watch you guys build your own identity and culture within it. Because again, I can't emphasize to everyone listening to this enough. When this all started, we never, ever, ever wanted this to be rare drop talent agency. That was, that wasn't even a thought because it just, it didn't make sense all joking aside, it made more sense for the people that know how to do it, the people that did do it, to form their own identity and form their own piece and form their own uh, car- carve yourself a spot in this industry was was kind of how we we looked at it. Yeah, from our end. and we so appreciate you guys like believing in us and also just like being crazy enough to think that we could handle it, um, which we totally can. But I think that a lot of people they don't have that sort of realization. Um, yeah. yeah. At, at online performers group, like we were the ones that would, were doing all the work. Yep. Um, you know, we didn't have, we weren't creating the systems that did the work, but all of the manpower was coming from us. Um, a lot of the ideas and every program that we put in place, it was all coming from us. And then the top leadership would basically like pay for it or, you know, just let us do our own thing. So it was a place where we had a lot of freedom. Um, So once we had those conversations about like, okay, can we really do this? We really have a lot of faith in our abilities because we've already been doing it. The hard part is like all of the legal infrastructure, like Mm -hmm. learning how to create a business and all of that red tape. That's the stuff that we don't know. Yeah. And, and you learn all that as you go along. There's there's nothing wrong with going into a situation and saying, I don't understand how this works. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I need advice from a colleague or a friend. Uh, I do it all the time. Even today, uh, I went to an old friend of mine uh, to ask for some advice on the way to handle a certain situation internally in our organization. Uh, and it's okay to say, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually feel like it's a strength to act, to come out and say, I'm not really sure how this works. Let me, fi- let me find out for you. Let me figure it out. Uh, vulnerability to your team to me is a strength and showing them that you don't have all the answers. You're not a know it all. You're not someone that is just going to say yes for the sake of not looking bad. Um, so I have no problem going to my team. Hey, I don't know the answer to this. I'm going to go find out for you and I will get back. Or, hey, I don't know the answer to this. You figure out what the answer is and let's discuss it when you 
come to a resolution. Um, and mm-hmm. you, you'll learn all that and as you go along. And I think know, it you're going to teach just, me things too. I mean, hopefully. Um. <laughs> <laughs> no, you will. <laughs> Trust me. But I think it also makes us uh, uniquely okay with new opportunities and new ways of doing things because we aren't stuck in the old ways. And that's where I've seen a lot of companies fail. I've worked in a lot of places and it's usually just one guy or girl just being like, no, we're not doing it this way. Even though those are all really good Mm -hmm. ideas, we're not doing it. And that's so frustrating. We've, we've sat in client pitches with, you know, you have the marketing person or somebody that believes in what we are doing, but then you have to pitch it to the board who has Mm -hmm. been there for 20 years and doesn't understand our world. Um, and your best talking point is always, yeah, we've raised $15 million for St. Jude in five years. Uh, it's very difficult to convey how you did that after that. And I Mm -hmm. think you are going to be in a similar situation, especially when you deal with non-endemic brands, um, on, why is this space valuable? You do have the advantage, though, currently that COVID has opened people's eyes to yes. what we do and why it's important from a marketing standpoint um, and and uh, how they can benefit from it. Uh, the, bi- the biggest issue I always noticed working with OPG and then working with other brands afterwards was the uh, the Wild West, as, as Tim, Ben and I call it, of... Um, uh, concise monetization so for instance one company says this is how you measure measure metrics and get to a price point of you know an hourly or a monthly sponsorship or whatever but then another company will say no this is how you measure it and it's not like television or podcasting where all of those expectations have been laid out and there is a standard and a guidebook mm-hmm. basically in place for everyone to do that so I guess as we jump deeper into Phoenix down, we'll go back to game stuff. Uh, <laughs> how do you, how do you, how do you battle those as, as, as a new company coming in? You know, somebody's going to say your metrics have to be measured this way. Another one's going to say, you're going to have to measure this way. What does Phoenix down do to, is it, no, we measure it this way and this is the price or let's look at it both ways and come up with something that works. How does that, how does that fit into your role and the team's role. I think even just getting to that conversation where you get to talk granular about the metrics and like the rates and prices of things is a good thing. Because if you can get that far, then there's transparency. Um, I've only seen those conversations go bad when they don't want to talk about it. They're just like, well, this is the price. And it's usually somebody lowballing a content creator or something. And if they don't want to talk about it, then you know, we're just, I just have to go back to the creator and say like, hey, this is all they want to do. Like I tried to change their mind. Um, But if you can get to that place where you're explaining, here's one thing that we didn't do at online performers group. And I've started doing at Phoenix down and have seen it work is I just straight up give them the equation. I, I say like, this is how we do it. Um, you know, there's some fluctuations for people that feel that either their experience or renown of their brand or their community is super engaged. And so there might be like a, f- a factor or a multiplayer that made it higher. But other than that, this is the baseline that we use and just give them that info. I think a lot of people keep that secret. And I don't think that that's good for the industry as a whole. 
one of the things that I want to do is I want to create like a rate calculator and have it hosted on the website to where like anybody can just find their baseline rate for certain standard pieces of work. What I would consider a standard piece is like maybe like two hours, one tweet. Two hour sponsored streaming and, and a social post or something, mm-hmm. um, because I think that transparency is super important, and I don't want people to have to work with us. Um, and this this stuff shouldn't be secret. You shouldn't have to work with a management company to be successful in the business. But of course, you want to work with us because we're good people and we're going to make your lives easier. Right, which was what I always enjoyed about working with you and with Audrey. Um, was my life, I could put in a request and say, Hey, do you, could you reach out to this brand and see if they'd be interested in working with me? And then the flip side was you all coming to us and saying, Hey, this brand is interested in working with you. Um, and not having to do that, like work and figure that out is, mm-hmm. is dynamite. I mean, we have to do that now with our events, you know, we're planning some stuff for next year. And, you know, we have a, a person on staff who does <clears throat> sales for, you know, sponsorships and events. Uh, some of the I can't say what we're planning, but, uh, you know, something like GCX, if you will. Uh, and um, it's not easy, again, explaining to especially non endemics why this why this costs this. So something like a calculator that someone can come in and just easily plug it in and see what it looks like would set such a good standard in the industry for pricing and, you know, understanding the formula. Mm-hmm. Uh, but people are going to resist it and people are oh, also yeah. going to try and undermine it. That's the other thing is, you know, we're very ethical. We're very transparent. Um, but other people, you know, like, oh, I can get you a better rate. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's going to happen. And, and that can and it could be true. But then, you know, it also might lead to companies and brands saying, oh, well, this wasn't worth it. We'll just go work somewhere else where we yep. get more clicks. Yeah. What, 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 what I say to a lot of people is that what, what costs do you get a deal like that, you know, mm-hmm. rather than having someone you can work with who understands it and will make sure that there's a longstanding relationship there, whether it's with them, whether it's with the brand, whether it's a, a case study to use for future activations. Uh, could be any of that, but you know, those, those fly by nights, those, I appreciate what a lot of the services try and do, especially for, uh, creators who are growing, uh, you know, where you set up a profile and then the brands can come on or the game, uh, devs or publishers can come on and kind of bid. I get that market and that mentality, but because the pricing in the industry is so volatile, I don't think there's any benchmark for what makes sense and what doesn't. And everyone has their own idea of what a value is. Right. on you know a, a sponsored activation or, or or something of that so seeing you guys kind of innovate that and and create that bottom line of this is why it costs us and being transparent about it you know that could be a huge game changer for how uh sponsored activations and and working with brands in the, in the space works yeah and i think it's also going to be sort of a wake-up call for a lot of these brands that are running through agencies Mm -hmm. i've already talked to a lot of brands and i'm not i'm not trying to say that agencies are bad or anything they certainly provide some value but i don't think that the transparency is there i've already Mm -hmm. talked to some people who who have hit up other agencies that work specifically for brands and have asked you know where's my money going and they don't have those answers there's there's not that transparency of this is how much 
my agency is taking and this is what my fee is and this is what the content creators are getting paid and yeah. that is very very troublesome because a lot of these content creators they'll get lowballed by a game or a company and they'll take it personally against that game and that that game didn't even know that they weren't being paid their full rate which is not a good look for them they don't even know that's happening yeah <laughs> and, and and uh one game comes to mind it's a mobile <laughs> game I will not say the name of the mobile game, but their marketing agency is really annoying because even when you say no to said activation because they tried to lowball you, the next marketing person in their agency still sends you the same crappy email. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you know what game I'm talking about, right? Yeah, now. I've got a good idea. And then <laughs> I always like to send that sort of email and point it out too and just be like, you know, Dave emailed me a week ago and I turned it down for this. You know, why aren't you guys talking to each other? I say it nicer than that, but I love sending those emails. My favorite is the uh, it wasn't that one, but another company after I finished streaming, talking about how they were in my chat that day uh, and really enjoyed the stream and then called me K Magic 102. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that was one of my favorites. That's yeah. that's definitely top five for me. It's like, oh, you're in the stream because I haven't streamed for a month. Right. Uh, <laughs> and I don't know why they, they use these forms and just say, we really enjoyed your blank content. And then they just like use whatever game you streamed last. And you're like, yeah, I could see right through or, that. Or the formula messes up and it just says gibberish. Yeah. Or it just says <laughs> the wrong name. You're like, great. Yes. <laughs> and and it, that's what that's what, you know phoenix down is providing it's it's a personal touch it's a way for not only you know the the clients you have but for the the brands and the agencies to feel comfortable because it's not robotic it's personal you're talking to someone you're game planning on what the activation is going to look like uh and what their expectations of it are i think that is to me i've learned that over the past few years especially in this industry is expectations really need to be set Mm-hmm. Because then pricing can appropriately be laid out. Yeah. Um, and once you can master that part of the relationship, which I feel like companies like Leviathan Core, George and, and Corey and the gang over there, mm-hmm. they've done that so well on the the uh, the the brand side with, you know, dealing with 2K and, and some of their other clients. Uh, and we've gotten the opportunity to work with them in that sense. And I feel like they do that so well is they're good at communicating. They're good at laying things out. They're good at making it feel like it's not robotic and you're, you know, you're working together. And I'm excited to see those Phoenix down Leviathan core projects come together. And I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. You get to work with Andre again. too. Yeah. Uh, That's going to be like the two dream teams coming together. Really? Yeah. That represent both parts of the industry. And honestly, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot to be said about a lot of the folks within that. Um, I, you know, I've known George since George helped do the door at, destiny con 2016 because he was Corey Gottsold friend uh that i that i met for the first time uh and i had knew nothing about george and you know i've gotten to know george over the years and uh become close with him and uh he's a fantastic person who Mm -hmm. uh is very 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 uh staunch about being ethical in this business which honestly is it's rare it's It's rare. rare i don't i don't understand why it's so rare but i also 
like I, I think it's good in the sense that like we can find the people that we know are good and like keep them close and it's they're pretty easy to find those people. Yeah. But uh, there's just so much that goes on. Because I'll tell you why. Because uh, success in the industry means you make less money. Uh, I'm sorry. Being ethical and successful in the industry means you make less money. Uh, I hate saying that out yeah. loud and I hate exposing that, you know, the bugs under the rock kind of thing. But that's the truth. The more ethical things you do in relation to business when it comes to content creation and gaming, the less money you will make because you can be a real scumbag and make a shitload of money. Yeah, that's it's, so true. It's it's that's the truth. That is the honest to God truth. But, you know, for folks like us, I I I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. I wouldn't be able to look at yeah, my kids if I no. started doing shady shit. Same. Um, like so, and, and I don't need a lot of money, right? Like my right. goal is to buy a house or maybe like I want to build. I'm kind of on the building a tiny house type of train right now. But mm -hmm. like, you know, that's not like a huge endeavor. As long as I got that, then I'm good. Like, yeah. And, and <laughs> as long as your personal goals always align. And a lot of the people, you know, that we work with, I think personal goals are important. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to realize that, you know, now I know Janessa is on the tiny house thing. So if I see any <laughs> tiny house stuff on Pinterest, gonna she's going to get it from me. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, ex exposing that and showing, you know, this is what my goal is in all of this in this journey. You know, I'm not looking to be a billionaire and have a private jet. Again, there's nothing wrong with aspiring to that and getting to that level. If you've earned it, you've done it correctly. Mm -hmm. I don't like the people that do it, you know, super shady. Right. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to work with folks like Ninja. I think Ninja's a great guy. He gets a bad rap a lot of times, but he's done so much for charity. Uh, he's he's elevated our industry into pop culture like no one ever has. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's super important. He's made his mistakes and he's done some dumb shit, too. But we all have. But I don't think he's one of the malicious types. Yeah, I also think it's so hard to be the face of gaming, right? In a lot of ways, yeah. that's what he is, and that's a lot of pressure. Um, yeah. But he's done a fantastic job, and I think that he is a good role model. You know, there's he has his, I don't know if he's still doing his dark streams or whatever, but for the most part, he's very kid-friendly. Like, mm -hmm. I think he's been doing a good job. I think he went back to, when he came back to Twitch, he started doing some more uh, not kid yeah. stuff on purpose but the kid kid thing was the play for quite some time yeah. uh which is lupo used to tell me that a lot of times because he would play with him people would associate the fact that lupo was also kid friendly which then mm. <laughs> it's not kid friendly uh especially if he's playing with tim they talk about <laughs> all sorts of things um but uh yeah it's it's just backing up and taking a step back again with ethics in the industry and stuff um I personally feel it's important. And again, we wouldn't partner with folks like you if, if we didn't think you had that at the top of your list. Um, and anytime you see Rare Drop do anything else and partner with, with someone else, it, it, there's always a, a, an element of ethics over cash mm -hmm. involved uh, because there's lots of stuff that Janessa and I could do in this joint partnership to get cash flowing through the company right away that might not be, you know, numero uno. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, and even, it's a, you know, even with GCX, folks get mad because they find out, you know, we have a production budget that comes from the tickets. It's like, how do you <laughs> <laughs> expect me? <laughs> I know. Uh, but uh, even beyond that's just that's just stupidity. Uh, <laughs> even beyond that, um, you know, 
every people go, oh, well, is all this money going to St. Jude? I don't know. Did you donate and get the receipt from St. Jude? Right. It doesn't come from me. I'm not in charge of Tiltify or, <laughs> you know, we create the vehicle and, the you know, drive you to the destination. That's all we do. It's very uh, and, and like plain to us that are running it and have to come up with these operational expenses. But like from the outside, I can I can understand where they're coming from, <clears throat> but like they don't have the same knowledge as we do. Um, and so yeah. I, that's changed me in a lot of ways to where I think I'm less critical because I realize I really don't know what's going on on the inside yeah, of other places. You know, if I showed someone the balance sheet for a GCX event. I think they'd faint with how much it costs. Yeah. To oh, to do what we do. Events are ridiculous. Yeah, ridiculous and then it's like, well, that money could have went to St. Jude, but it's like then you don't get your event. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even St. Jude is on board with having the physical event to celebrate, you know, the good that we've done in gaming that year. Yeah. Um so I mean St. Jude uh, invites people to the summit to their thing, yeah. and that's extremely valuable. Yes, it's a cost. Have you been? I did get to go. And it was awesome. very impactful. Yeah, very impactful. Uh, yeah, that that was uh, my first uh, the year after we did the first fundraiser for DCC. I went and I've been two times since then. Uh, it's just mind blowing. But then yeah. it makes you want to do more and, and, you know, go deeper. And even like I said, during COVID, uh, Rare Drops had the opportunity now to work with other other. I said other brands, but even other charities mm -hmm. um, to help them get into the digital space. It could be consulting it could be uh production it could be whatever but covid has made charities pivot to try and figure out how to keep their uh fundraising flowing mm -hmm. and digital is currently the only way uh to to do that everything from online concerts to uh, gaming to even I uh, telethon style events are making a comeback because it's I it's a way telethons. to yeah you know like you get Betty White picking up a phone and it's like yeah thank yeah. you for not whatever it is and uh, I want to be one of those people that answer the phones if you ever do we one do, Alex really wants to do one for GCX one year so maybe this year you know we'll have oh the Phoenix down too Janessa's gonna answer your calls That's so uh, cool. <laughs> he's dying to do it it's Alex's ideas are, are very wholesome and hilarious to me but uh, they they pan out very well a lot of the time. Um, but uh, so we're hitting we're hitting our time marker. I do want oh, to man. back up. <laughs> I know I, we, we went on the tangent. I do want to back up. I want to touch on you joining the folks at GameStop TV. Yeah. And then after that, let's launch into what Phoenix Down is right now and what you see for the future. So talk to me about your time uh, at GameStop TV, which I still think you're doing stuff for them, right? Yeah, I still am. Yep. It's been great and a dream, really. So. Like I mentioned before, GameStop was my first retail job, first job ever, and there was a TV back then. Um, Andrea Renee was on it, and she was like the GameStop girl, and I remember just looking up at that TV and being like, hey, I could do that. I come from a background of like musical theater and performing, so everything like that was of interest and, in my mind, attainable. Um, so... I was working at OPG. I was still doing the content creation. Um, one thing that sucks when you get a full-time job is that you can't really put 
as much time into content creation as you used to. So, like, yep. I'm sure you can relate to that. <laughs> I'm very behind on Assassin's Creed Valhalla right now, Janessa. I can't oh, emphasize too. to you. I finished Odyssey in, in, in 10 days, and I am on, like, month two, and I'm only 14 hours in. But continue. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I switched to Phoenix Rising, by the way, which is so good. I've never played like a like an open world. I don't usually like them. I like this one. Although my boyfriend uh, is like helping me grind as we speak because uh, I just want to play the story part. See, I'm I'm uh, I'm on the fence about that game. Really? Breath of the Wild for me. I'm a huge Zelda fan mm. from old school. Yeah. Uh, Link to the Past is my favorite. Um, but Breath of the Wild was good, but it didn't land land for me. And there's a lot of similarities with a Phoenix Rising, is, but. Yeah. You and Co. and a few others have said it's much better than Breath of the Wild. So now I'm like, ah, well, I, d- but- I hope you don't murder me after this, but I did not enjoy Breath of the Wild. No, no, I, I know a lot of people that didn't. Yeah, I, I Cyber- couldn't get through it. Cyberpunk comes out tomorrow. So I'm oh, really yeah. this is the first time I don't in- have time. <laughs> yeah, half a decade where I do not have time to do any of this. But yes, content anyway. <laughs> creation while you have a full time job is is not a thing. Yeah, it's crazy. Um, so I was still doing it, but at a, at a lesser speed, less frequent. And honestly, I got a DM from Meg Cayley, who was working at GameStop at the time. And she was just like, I came across your content. It's really good. Will you come audition? And that like still gives me chills to this day because like, I don't know how many times I've preached to people, like, make your Twitter DMs open if you can. Like, I know it can lead you to some crazy things, but you want to be able to get those opportunities if they happen. Um, I had to go the email route on that one because for yeah. the first DCC, uh, people were messaging me about weapons oh, balancing <laughs> and how I could fix it uh, in Crucible. So I, I mean, had as long to as you have an DMs. email... Yes, like, mine is people mine's will mine. email you. <laughs> <laughs> but it it was really as simple as that. She um it was actually Eric who now runs the whole GameStop um thing. He's the director of it. Um who found me. They were looking for a male co-host because they had all of these female talent um auditioning and the previous uh, set of people were all female and so we're like okay let's let's try to mix it up they were looking for another male talent and found my stuff and invited me anyway um but it was really as simple as that they found some news segments that i had just filmed on a whim for my youtube channel which only has like 200 subscribers by the way it's not big um so i'm this makes me encourage people to you know, create content, even if you feel like nobody's going to see it, because one day you're, you're going to find the person that sees it. Um, so they invited me to Texas. They flew me out there. We did an audition. Uh, there was about 12 of us there. And sure enough, I was one of the four that they picked for their like full-time cast. Um, and so every month I would just go fly over there and we would talk about like the newest games. And that was such a good experience to learn what it was like to be on set, to have some scripted segments, to, you know, using a prompter and having all these cameras around you and having makeup and wardrobe. Like it was super cool, but also very terrifying. Um, nowadays, uh, the, the, TV network has changed uh, the way that it was running. And it it's interesting. It actually changed before COVID, but it happened at the same exact time as COVID. So people think that uh, it was because of COVID. Yeah. But 
instead of having just like one show that just plays on repeat and and you know that's got to be hard for the employees just having one thing that only changes once a month that they have to listen to every single day uh they segmented it out so me and Meg were on our own show called Spark, which went over like very high level games that were coming out that month. And um, and then they got to we filmed them remotely and they sort of segmented it. So now it doesn't run all month. It just runs for like two weeks and then it gets replaced by another segment that runs for two weeks um, from there. Just this past couple of months because Eric got promoted to director, Eric used to do all of like the hardware and peripheral reviews. And so now I am the host of Decoded, which is going to do that. So because of that, I was very, very lucky to get my hands on the Xbox Series X and get to do hardware stuff, which is so cool because like we mentioned, I love physical things. So, <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's such a cool story. Uh, and, I I had the opportunity to uh, do some St. Jude stuff with Meg uh, when we were at Summit. She's fantastic. She is such a sweetheart mm-hmm. and one of the nicest people I think you'll ever meet. Uh, and she's she's just too nice. It's so um, nice to see someone that's so nice on camera and then like meet them in real life and just be like, oh, you're the same no person. They're no different. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because people always look at Ben Broman and uh, they're like, he's uh, how do you? Like, is he just yelling at you all the time? Like, mm-hmm. he's nothing like that off the camera. <laughs> <laughs> he's very calm and very chill. He is, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, Meg is, is the same exact person on camera and off camera, and she's just one of the nicest people I've ever met. The, opportunities like that, uh, you know, again, if I didn't get into consecration, if you didn't, we wouldn't be sitting here. Mm-hmm. Um, I always tell folks, there's a fine line between, you know, sending it and going nuts and creating content responsibly. Uh, you know, you don't have to absolutely destroy your entire life to try and get into this. Uh, you can be perfectly happy and, you know, make a couple hundred dollars a month doing it part time and creating mm-hmm. community and creating friendships and relationships. But you also have the opportunity down the road to do things like me and Janessa and even, you know, Dustin Vibronium's another great story of a consecrator that got into the business. He now works at discord uh, for uh, just, you know, being present and being here. There's, there's a lot of other people. Um, uh, Frisk just Mm -hmm. got a job at Twitch. That's so exciting. Uh, Yeah. It's, it's very cool to see people follow that and, and, uh, end up in great places you know people when i posted my uh you know full-time retirement if you will from streaming oh, message so hard. <laughs> it, it and it, it was a, it's it's a difficult decision there's there's a period of of mourning that comes with it because it's you don't sweet. yeah you i don't get to play valhalla eight hours a day yeah. and enjoy that experience with other people um and playing games is is it is a completely different experience for me now uh it has its pros and it has its cons but when i posted that there was people in my dm saying god you're living the dream and it's amazing to see mm-hmm. and i'm sure you can relate to this especially with phoenix down now it's amazing to see that what when we thought that other people were living the dream and we followed them into this field that now we have gotten to this position where other people that are in the field are looking at us and saying you know, you're living the dream. You started yeah. an agency, you're CEO of, of a, a production company and CFO of a coffee company, you know, like it is, it is, it's weird. really cool. 
and it's flattering. It's flattering because you don't you don't look at it that way. You okay, this is my next step. This is where I'm going to take my career. This is how I'm going to go. Cool. You don't look at it as like, oh yeah, I am. I am living my dream. <laughs> you definitely yeah. don't. I was after I left OPG after I quit. I was very tempted to just be like, well, I'm a full time streamer now. I got the GameStop gig. I'm just going to yeah. sit at home and do that. <laughs> Especially during COVID, it was super tempting. Um, I w- I couldn't do it anymore. I was post mixer. Uh, you know, my revenue ticked up as it does when you make a move, and then slowly but surely, it started to go down. It never dipped below uh, what the end of mixer was, but it didn't justify the time versus what Rare Drop was getting into. And Rare Drop in the beginning of COVID versus Rare Drop where we are at this moment having this conversation is two different companies mm-hmm. and if i didn't stop doing that uh rare drop wouldn't be what it is today yeah. me taking that time and course correcting things cutting out fat getting rid of things that didn't need to be on the table anymore making sure that the company could survive without a year of gcx because a lot of what the company does and people's jobs depend on GCX. I, I don't think a lot of people realize that. And it's actually the first time I think I've said that out loud uh, <laughs> publicly. Um, but a lot of people's jobs within our organization rely, and that includes part-timers, uh, relied on GCX. Uh, we didn't have to fire one person. We wow. didn't have to let go of anybody. Nobody's, the only thing that was affected was some people's, you know, uh, accumulated raises and bonuses got a little bit affected Mm -hmm. but the moment it happened you know we went into damage control mode and i remember the first meeting in april when i i pretty much knew in april we were done we weren't gonna have an event uh and i remember that meeting and i remember saying to everybody because it was everybody was on the call i said we either fold and we don't survive this or we are we are much better off than we were today uh by the end of this and And i mean it's the latter Right. Yeah. Like, and, and I'm proud to say it's because of the folks on that call, folks like you, these other partnerships that I'm working on. Uh, it's because of all of that. You know, it breathed new life into who Rare Drop could be and and what the future could hold. And um, it's been amazing to watch. I mean, you even you can say, you know, I started a company in the midst of a global pandemic right? Uh, in the digital space. And it's it's not where you thought you'd be in March. <laughs> You know? Oh no! If if anybody had asked me, do you think you'll be a CEO by the end of the year? <laughs> no. <laughs> but here you are, and it, and it's uh, I I'm I'm so proud, especially to see uh, you in this role because I, I've known you probably for two years now, mm-hmm. uh, and even previously knowing that you were a part of the community. Uh, it's just awesome to have you as a peer and 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 see wow this is another success story from what was once you know the destiny community right uh creating this amazing position and you know before you jump into what phoenix down <laughs> is going to be and what your plans are I, i've said it before and i'm just i, I feel like 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 i'm a, like a happy dad like oh Aww. yeah you're gonna do so good <laughs> but i mean it like we are so proud that you guys did what you did and 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 came alongside and that we get to be a, a small part of it uh, and it's just we're so excited to to watch Phoenix Sound just become this this monolith uh, of an agency in the in the industry. Um, tell us what the future holds. What where where do you what is the plan? Obviously, within reason, you can't tell them everything, but uh, <laughs> within reason of, of of public knowledge, what is Phoenix Sound going to do? What what is the next step? Where where do we see 
next year, three years? What is what does everything look like? Yeah, that's been like the hardest thing to plan out, um, but also it's very exciting. Like, uh, so the Phoenix Down consists of myself, Oliver, Sarah, and Zach, who. Again, they all worked at Online Performers Group and they all have amazing talents and abilities. And I couldn't have asked for a better team because the way that we work together is so cohesive. There's times where I um, don't want to delegate something because like, I feel like I should just do it. Like I need to get the process done first and then be able to like show the team or whatever. And then while I'm having that same thought, they're piping in and saying like, Oh, I already did this. Here you go. Here's, here's a a first rough draft. And I'm like, Oh my God, I have the best team ever. (laughs) Um, but so the big vision for the company, um, I have Oliver being the chief marketing officer i think he's chief branding officer or something he's worked on content before he um, that's where his experience lies i really want to see him create a lot of this content for everybody to use not just about our company but just tutorials how people can get by in this industry and do their first sponsored stream um So that's where we have him. We have Sarah, who is super passionate about the client experience and customer experience, making sure that everybody's happy there. And then we have Zach working on strategic partnerships with sponsors and brands, and that's what he's good at. We have like this running joke where Zach can get you into any party that you want, because that's just kind of the guy that he is. Oh, I does this mean I can ask Zach for game codes again? Because yes, totally. Yes. I forgot about that. I would Zach. I would ask him for any game. I'm, Zach, can you give me a, a game code for this? And it was like two out of maybe eighteen times where he couldn't get it done. Yeah, he's he's the man there. It's wild. I always feel bad asking, and then I'm just like, "Do you know somebody?" He's like, "Yeah, I know that guy. I'll send him an email." I'm like, "How do you know that one specific person?" Yes, yes, it's amazing. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh. Um. And so my job is basically operations and like running this incredible team. But what we want to be is we want to be the management company. The way that we're, we're um, setting up the company is that there's actually two, two different companies and it gets a little complicated and nuanced. So I'll try my best to explain it um, because of certain laws um, in California, which is where we're working and as well as Florida. And I think it's New York. Um, we are modeling our company based off of traditional talent as far as radio hosts and actors um, and those sort of structures because they've got it figured out. They've been doing it for a really long time. And so there is one part of it, which is management. And then there's one part, which is agency. So a manager comes into play when you have a lot of opportunities, you know, you can't handle it all. I like to use the Kris Jenner Kardashians as an example. Kris Jenner runs the Kardashians businesses. She is the manager. Um, so that's that's management to where like you you need help. You need somebody. You need a guide. You need to bounce ideas off of. Is this a good opportunity or not? Um, you know, this isn't paying me. Well, should I do it? Or like, hey, this is unpaid, but it could be a good opportunity. It's for charity or something. There's just like something very comforting with having a team to run that by. 
Um, and then we'll also do things like analytics. One of our goals is we want to get out like a monthly, here's how your channel is doing and here's how it compares to last month and the past year. That's something that I don't think we did very good at our, our previous jobs um, and we want to build on that. Now the other side of the company is the agency part and that will be fully licensed in those states that I mentioned. Um, and that side is going to be pitching people to the brands, the companies, trying to get them paid sponsorship deals, trying to make cool things happen. Um, and I'm really excited about that venture because it's going to uh, allow us to open up our services to work with a lot of people who probably don't need a management company um, because it doesn't, a, a lot of the people in this space don't have this separation. Um, there's this idea that you can't start doing sponsors or the only people that are getting sponsored work are like the top of the top um, because they, the way the businesses are structured, it's not profitable unless they're working with the top talent um and so we're going to be different than that we're going to make it to where we can totally represent people and get them in front of these agencies even if they feel like they're don't have the highest viewers on whatever platform they're on um oh i just lost my train of thought in the middle of that really great <laughs> pitch of everything oh so frustrating you were saying basically <laughs> you don't need representation to be able to do work yeah i think i i think that the companies that are doing this in the, right now in the industry have sort of like muddled um the line between management and agency so i'm super excited to separate those and then the content creator is going to be able to choose like do i want one or the other you don't have to go with both um I I love <laughs> the enthusiasm. I love the plan. I knew all that already, Chad. So, you did. So uh, you're just like, I called yeah. them chat. I still do that. I still call everyone chat. God. What do you think, chat? <laughs> when will that end? Uh, I knew all that already. I just wanted Janessa to explain it to I you. I do and, that with yeah. my family. You call them chat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not that bad. I mix up my kids' names and sometimes call them the dog's name, but that's about it. Uh, it's like, um, oh, one, Hunter, one thing no, that I did want to mention, Audrey, Go ahead. Audrey, <laughs> no, my, my oldest daughter's name is Audrey. So oh, I'll okay. be talking to my youngest who's Juliet. And I'm like, Hunter, no, that's my son. Finn, no, that's the dog. <laughs> Audrey, no, that's the other one. Juliet, come here. It happens. I mean, there's so many of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, one thing yeah. that I did want to mention is that like our agency services will be non-exclusive because I don't see like why you don't. You can work with other people if you want to, you know, I don't want you to have to say no to amazing opportunities that other people place because why should you? Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there. And so there's, there's not like a scarcity, I would say. There's a lot of brands and companies that want to work with gamers and we should just all kind of be in it together. And on the inverse side, if, you are someone who is with Phoenix down and things come your way, you know, you can, you can bring it to them. Or honestly, even if you're not, like you said, Hey, I need help with this. Can you help me? And you know, Phoenix down, will take their usual cut and, mm -hmm. and that's it. And you, you got help with an activation and, and maybe that 
move, then there's a case study attached to it. There's a whole thing that comes along with that. It's not just like, I'm going to turn my stream on for two hours and then post a social post. There's a whole litany of things that come yeah, it's with really doing complicated. that. Yeah, it sucks. I don't like doing it on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I... Uh... I think that there's a lot of people who didn't realize how much we did until they had to do it on their own. But we have a very robust CRM system that walks you through all of the steps of like, I have to make contact with this person. I need to find out what all the details are. Because for some reason, when these initial emails come in, they have like no information attached to it. Uh, so you have to spend a lot of time asking a lot of questions. When do you want this to happen? What exactly do you want me to do? And hopefully that doesn't change down the line because that's what our conversation is based around. And then, you know, we have to run it by the creators because we can't just sign them up for something without their approval or there's a lot of nuanced things like I don't have that system or like I don't like that like that publisher, I might have said something that, you know, they're not going to be happy about. So maybe it won't be the most authentic thing for me to work with them um, down yeah. the line. So there's that. And then, of course, there's coming up with rates and prices, reviewing contracts, scheduling all of Ugh. these things. Uh, because brands really want to know when and where you're doing a thing because they want to tune in, which is super exciting, but really hard. <laughs> Um, and then it comes down to making sure it's done, making sure nothing's missed, and then reporting all of the analytics afterwards, and then invoicing, and then making sure you get the money after the invoicing. Remember when I said I couldn't emotionally or physically handle? <laughs> you have just completely described to everyone that hears this why. Yeah. I can't do it. Uh, and that that is it. That is why we decided to partner with with Janessa and, and the crew at Phoenix Town. Um, any closing thoughts, information, advice, anything for for people that will listen to this for years and years and in, in droves and droves. <laughs> for all true. of eternity. <laughs> all of you. Well, technically, they say the Internet is for all of eternity, but right. I don't believe it. <laughs> Um, I would basically, you know, for any content creators that are out there, uh, I hope that you came away from this conversation knowing that just like really anything is possible. My career has really taken off and grown in only four years, which if you imagine a four-year-old is tiny, like that is such a short amount of time. Um, so another thing that I would say is that like, I am not going to be the perfect CEO. Uh, I never thought that this is where the trajectory of my career was going to be. There's still a lot of a lot of things for me to learn, but I do want to sort of lower that bar because I think that that's a very scary title, and I had to go through a lot to ask myself if I could do it. And everybody else sees it in me, um, so there's a lot of like inner workings that I am still working through to make sure that like. I'm okay with it. Um, but I want to lower that bar too, because there's a lot of hard workers out there that could totally do it, that are fit for the job. Um, but I think the stigma around it prevents people from starting their own businesses and ventures. When in my experience through the companies that I've worked with before, usually the hardest workers are the ones doing the day to day instead of yep. the people at the top. Yeah. I'm, I, uh, my role in, in, like I said, from 15 years old to 
you know, packing a truck and stocking, uh, uh, stocking stuff in the stock room to now is obviously my day to day and my labor has changed immensely. Uh, when you get, when you climb up the ladder, a lot of what comes is, is the risk, Mm -hmm. which is the big one, especially as a, as an owner of a company, which you now know. Uh, so the risk that comes along with everything, uh, can be its own huge, huge weight. And then, uh, pressure, uh, and then the ability to organize and to direct, I, I could do a whole podcast just on this discussion, but that's the short form of it. Uh, don't, don't be scared to, to kind of, um, take that jump and take that risk. Mm-hmm. There's so much information now that you can just Google and, oh, yeah. and figure out how to start your own company, wherever you may be in the world. Uh, and, and don't let fear be the the thing that keeps you away from it because you don't know what it'll do don't let failure keep you down you know mm-hmm. you know how many times i've failed in this journey uh pre-rare job in rare job there's been so many things at gcx that have just not flown that i'm always like oh yeah that'll work well uh there's things now that i mention and they just fall flat and it's like oh, all right we'll get rid of that <laughs> but it's you a process learn from that exactly so then it's not to. a failure because like now you have that experience and you know yep 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 you nailed it janessa thank you so much for your time uh where can people find you and where can people find phoenix down on the interwebs so you can find me all my handles are pods of war and or you can also just search my name by janessa christine but i'm on twitch twitter instagram trying to do the tiktok thing but i need to dedicate more resources there um and then phoenix down you can go to phoenixdown.co it's spelled f-e-n-i-x-d-o-w-n.co i hope we never talked about the fact that it is a final fantasy thing but i hope the gamers the gamers know I know it's good. You can talk about it when you talk to bro man. There we go. Tomorrow. I'll save there that, you go. that little one. Perfect. <laughs> Again, thank you so much, Janessa. And you as for always, me. oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. As always, uh, we'll see you on the next episode of the old fashioned podcast. Uh, and thanks for hanging out with us. Bye.